Hello and welcome to Re-Energize. This is the place to discover more about emerging technology in offshore renewables and how we will meet our future energy needs. My name is Andy McDonald. I'm the Director of Offshore Wind Development and Operations here at ORE Catapult, the UK's leading research and innovation centre for offshore renewables. Really looking forward to the discussion we've got today. We've got some great guests with us. This is a special episode ahead of the Offshore Wind Supply Chain Spotlight event on 12th December in Edinburgh. We're going to look in depth at the supply chain with a special edition of the Re-Energize podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by representatives from three of the big industry leaders, Duncan Eiling from ENBW, Alex Loudon from Orsted, and Marlene Orth from Ocean Winds. So a very warm welcome to my guests. Before I get started, I wondered if each of you wouldn't mind introducing yourselves to our listeners and giving us a bit of an overview of your background and current role. Duncan. Hi, I'm the supply chain manager for the three offshore wind farms, Mona, Morgan and Morven, that we're developing in partnership between EMBW and BP. Nice to be here. Thanks. Yeah, I'm Alex Loudon. I'm a senior ventures and open innovation specialist at Ersted. My role encompasses all of the external innovation partnerships we have here in the UK. So anything with startups, universities, research organizations, that kind of thing. I've only been with Ersted since June. And before that, I was at Ori Catapult. I'm Marlene Orth. I'm Offshore Wind Opportunities Manager here at Ocean Winds. My background is in energy economics, and I've been working in renewables my whole career and in offshore wind for nearly six. I've been working on on various leasing rounds across the UK, including round four, both Scotland leasing rounds and Intoc, and very delighted to be here to talk about the supply chain. So we've got a really, really expert panel, so really delighted everyone's here. Yeah, I think we're going to have some great discussions. The timing of this podcast is just ahead of the Spotlight event on the 12th December in Edinburgh, really focused on showcasing UK supply chain companies that have been supported through the Offshore Wind Growth Partnership Programme and through Catapult's Launch Academy and, and Fit for Offshore Renewables Programme. So it's a real opportunity for the supply chain to showcase up-and-coming companies and to engage with the developers. There'll be panel events as well as pitch events from the supply chain companies. So lots going on. It's looking to be a really, really exciting day. From the panel's perspective, what is it the year looking forward to most from the day, the pitch sessions, the panel sessions? Yeah, I think the Spotlight event is an absolutely fantastic day. It certainly was last year. And I think a lot of conferences and events have this overarching focus. And, you know, a lot of the discussion is around, you know, allocation rounds and leasing rounds and the big picture. And there is a really good amount of that at Spotlight too. But I think the really unique thing about it is the focus on the companies and the really exciting suppliers and innovators that we have in the UK. The really lovely thing is that everybody's on this equal standing. And so you can hear from some of the really big suppliers and some of the brand new, really small suppliers. And so just getting that variety and diversity in our supply chain, I think, is such an exciting day. The other thing that caught my eye on the agenda is the discussion around the building a sustainable offshore wind industry. That, to me, is really important because offshore wind is such a crucial part of the UK's transition to net zero. But we also need to be holding ourselves to a really high standard and demonstrating how we can grow but in a sustainable way. That's really important, but it's also a great opportunity for some of the suppliers and innovators there because it's going to necessitate new approaches, new technologies. I think we've got this opportunity to both grow the sector, but also have a really positive impact on the planet. Marlene, from yourself, similar or, or different? 
quite similar on the whole. I mean, one of the key challenges we're facing in the industry at the moment is this the need to scale up the supply chain. So to be able to meet and discuss with the variety of supply chain companies that Alex mentioned there will be really great. And it's fantastic that we get the opportunity to discuss how the supply chain can meet the demand growing forward. And of course, we as developers always have a good idea of what that could look like. But the Spotlight event on the 12th is really about the supply chain companies themselves. And we're really looking forward to engaging with them, with companies of all sizes in that meaningful dialogue on what the development could look like and how it could benefit everyone. And one of the things that I personally am most looking forward to is to be inspired and to see how companies have grown and developed through the programs like the ones run by the Offshore Wind Growth Platform, like Fit for Offshore that you mentioned there before and the Launch Academy. And that always encourages other supply chain companies to step up as well and see what's possible and what's out there. So that's fantastic. Very much looking forward to it. Again, highlighting the need of the supply chain or the need of the sector to have the capacity and capability within the supply chain to take it forward. Obviously, spotlight an opportunity to meet those companies and absolutely get inspired by them, which I think is a fantastic sentiment. Duncan, is it inspiration you're looking for or is it contact with the supply chain? What are you most looking forward to from the spotlight event? I definitely agree with the previous speakers. Um, Alex, in particular, I was there last year too and found it a very worthwhile event. And that's why we're sponsoring the drinks at the networking reception at the end. So uh, I hope to see you there. In particular, I'm looking forward to understanding the suppliers' capabilities, looking to see how they can potentially be matched with our project requirements. It's a very well-named event, the Spotlight, and it is focused on the suppliers. That's the key reason for it for me. Personally, I'm looking forward to the pitch sessions and hearing from the companies. It's always surprising what turns up at these events. And I think that's always the excitement that sits around, particularly around Spotlight. So really looking forward to it. So thanks for your input on that. The personal enjoyment, I guess, of the event. There's a really important function that the event is is trying to play in terms of matching up developers, customers in general, and the supply chain and the companies there. So it's hopefully a win-win opportunity for those connections to be made. I'm interested from yourselves, from from a developer's perspective, into what you're particularly looking for from the supply chain. And really as a follow-up to that, what's your advice to the supply chain companies that are there? Why don't we start with Marlene this time? Yes, it's been it's been quite a year for the industry. <laughs> so quite the roller coaster ride. So there's lots to talk about. And uh, the spotlight event being hosted at the end of the year really gives us all a chance to reflect a bit on what's been going on and where we should take things going forward. Local content is key for ocean winds, and we have targets for the Scottish and UK content in the supply chain development plans of our two Scotland projects. So Caledonia, which is two gigawatts fixed, and Arvin, which is 2.3 gigawatts floating. And just to give you an idea, so for Caledonia alone, we have 64 million pounds to invest to enable the Scottish supply chain as per our supply chain uh, development statement. And this is why on the 12th, we're hosting a local content breakout session in the afternoon, which we're really excited about because it's a topic that's very, very close to our hearts. So we would love to see lots of delegates there. So if anyone's listening, we'd we'd love to have you there and uh, discuss how we can best take the local content forward. And really in, in Scotland and the UK as a whole, we have a wealth of offshore wind companies developing innovative solutions and, and capabilities. So by engaging with emerging um, local supply chain companies. Projects like Caledonia, which is going to be 
the one that's going to be um, constructed first, can positively impact the Scottish economy and, and communities while also supporting the industry's advancement. So we're very, very excited to be to be working together. And, and if you had any advice for those companies, what, what would you particularly like to be hearing from them? Is, is it around their innovation? Is it around their capability? Is it around their capacity? What, what's key for you in terms of those discussions that you're hoping to have? Capacity will be a huge topic, especially going forward. And as we're scaling up and trying to deliver the very many Scotland projects that were awarded. And of course, capabilities are key because that's going to help us and the supply chain companies plan together a way forward. And when can we actually realistically develop which project and where should we source content from? So maybe not the answer you were looking for, but it's going to be a little bit of everything. <laughs> that would be perfect. That's great. And Alex, from, from an Orsted perspective, you know, Orsted has been in the game for a long time in terms of a relatively new sector, but Orsted has a, a very strong supply chain development program and the way that it works with companies. What are you looking for from the supply chain companies that you're hoping to meet? As you highlight, we've been doing it a little while, so hopefully we have a, a reasonable understanding of what works well. You know, we've worked with, I think, 215 UK suppliers over the last five years alone. And the ones that have done particularly well, I think, are the ones that know their customer the best. I think that's that's really important. And it's because it means that that first conversation that we have with suppliers can follow on much more constructively to much more detailed discussions in a much more streamlined way as well. And I think the companies that we'll hear from at Spotlight, they're already doing all of the right things to understand their customers because they're going through these support programs. You know, the OWGP programs and the Catapult support that's available is super impactful in helping new suppliers in particular to understand the sector, its needs, and the respective players. So I think they're already taking those pretty valuable steps. And I think what we've tried to do with our breakout sessions in the afternoon sessions in particular is have some companies that have both gone through support programs and have successfully delivered contracts to, to Ersted and really share some of those practical tips that have really helped them in their journeys because it's very easy for us to, to say this is exactly what we want. But actually being a, a new supplier, trying to break into a first contract is, is really difficult and you're juggling hundreds of things at once. So some of those practical tips from people who've been there and done that, I think, will hopefully be beneficial to the companies that are in the audience. Bit of homework needed for, for companies ahead of it. Duncan, any advice on homework that companies should be doing ahead of the Spotlight event? It's um, continual. It's not just ahead of the Spotlight. I think at the event, we can also share the timelines and requirements of our projects and the suppliers need to be able to share their timelines when they're going to be ready to actually provide the services or the products. The previous point about knowing your customer is very important. Understanding the supply chain contracting structure so you know where you fit into that supply chain because often we're not actually the client as the developer. Often it's our tier one or our tier two contractor. So understanding how that all fits together and where the supplier fits into the supply chain so they don't waste their time chasing an opportunity with an organization that's never again to actually contract them. On the point of timelines, though, I think we do need to have an element of realism. Uh, it all shakes down from the grid connection dates. We need to make sure that the timelines that projects are sharing 
are realistic so that the contract sort of suppliers can actually make their plans accordingly. Hopefully with HND follow-up exercise coming out in the beginning of next year, we will get more certainty on grid connections and this will all shake out. But uh, I understand there's a lot of uncertainty still. If we can kind of go back to the the discussion with the events is taking place in Edinburgh. From a, a Scottish perspective, energy transition is a huge discussion point. How do we empower companies from the oil and gas sector to move across both at a company and at a skills level? So lots of discussion there and capacity Marlene referred to is going to be a huge problem for the supply chain. So we need all the support that we can get and all the innovation from other sectors as well. I'm just wondering from panelists' perspective, what are the things we should be learning from other sectors? And what's your advice for companies coming in from other sectors that uh, offshore wind is different? Perhaps if we start with Duncan. The key example I can think of in what we're learning from the oil and gas sector in particular, um, as I mentioned, we're in a joint partnership with BP. EMBW has plenty of experience of offshore wind development, construction, ownership and operation. But the joint venture day-to-day benefits I see coming is in terms of collaboration. Uh, I know it's the often banded C word, but offshore wind industry, I think in particular, has not that long an experience of collaboration. The CFD system has created a very competitive market where collaboration only really occurs after CFD. It's a lot more difficult for collaboration to to occur beforehand because we're competing against each other. Scotland, however, I think has been a game changer and it really has focused the mind on opportunities where we can collaborate and those have borne fruit. There are some examples of regional bird surveys off the East Coast with our Morbin project and some of the other projects in in that area. We have examples of uh, sharing survey vessels between projects. Down in the East Irish Sea, we have examples of collaborating with Morecambe, that presented here today as well, with sharing a, a grid connection route. Now, all of these examples are, are new to us, and they take time. It's quite difficult to work through when it's new. But the oil and gas industry have been doing this for ages. There are plenty of projects which have been collaborated and between projects as well. So those contracting structures, which uh, we haven't seen before, are now coming across from oil and gas to offshore wind. And that's that's leading to um, increased collaboration. Thanks, Duncan. Those are some excellent examples. It's often, like you see, easy to talk about collaboration, doing it's the hard bit, I guess. Alex Austed has a long history of collaborative working and you're involved in a, in a number of joint industry programs and working with, with other developers. What are your thoughts on how we can learn from other sectors in, in a collaborative way? I've actually been thinking about this question in a slightly different way. So forgive me, and I'll maybe come back to the, the way you've asked it as well. But I think the offshore wind industry, you know, we've all talked about how it's it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and it's getting further from shore, it's getting more complicated and that makes it really difficult for new technology and, and new market entrants to do a, a first contract and I think it also means that we as developers need to take a much more structured approach to technology as well. There's very little point in us trying to, you know, invent a, a framework for doing that and I've been having a look around and the energy networks businesses in the UK take a really interesting approach to this, where Ofgem run the Strategic Innovation Fund, and they have these kind of staged phases of discovery, alpha and beta, where they do feasibility studies with new technologies, then proof of concepts, and then pilots before a commercial rollout. And I think that's something that we could really learn from. 
because it provides this framework for the scaling up of technology in a much more structured way that it de-risks new technology for developers like us, which is vital, but it also really smooths the route to market for new entrants as well. It helps them to smooth out first generation product niggles, which are a, a reality of life that, that we'll never get away from, but it helps those lessons to be learned before a widespread rollout. So I think this is something that we can really learn from the other half of the energy sector, if you like, the, the kind of distribution and transmission side of it. In terms of how we best collaborate as developers, I think it's about being as open as we can be in the right ways. And, you know, I think we're getting better at this as a sector about sharing in the right forums, but I think there's definitely more that we could be doing. We need to recognize some of those examples that Duncan has highlighted of sharing surveys and sharing vessels. These are really constructive things that we can be doing more of. And I think getting away from thinking of our peers as, as being competitors all of the time, there are very clear parts of the development lifecycle where we're not competing and we, we can really collaborate. So I think it's taking advantage of those is, is going to be crucial. Really good to see examples coming from other sectors or other parts of the industry. And I love the, the kind of structured approach hey, that you were suggesting there. I think that's that's really good a future. Marlene, what are your, your thoughts on what we can learn from other sectors or even other parts of our own business? Fantastic points there from Duncan and Alex. Of course, oil and gas is always the industry that first comes to mind in terms of uh, lessons learned the offshore wind industry can apply from oil and gas. And that includes the know-how of offshore construction, but um, also retraining they are a highly skilled workforce, which I think, Andy, you mentioned a few minutes ago. Ocean Winds, in fact, just won the Just Transition Award at Renewable UK's Global Offshore Wind Awards event a few weeks back for our work in retraining oil and gas personnel. I think we, we tend to think a lot about business processes and what we can apply to offshore wind, but uh, let's definitely not forget about uh, their highly skilled workforce as well. And then you asked about what other industries we could learn from. So lean shipbuilding, for example, would be another one. But of course, there's also a lot uh, we can learn from, from pilot projects and smaller projects in the industry. So Ocean Winds, for example, can look back on, on over a decade of floating experience. And we've been pioneering floating wind from, from the very early days and have a strategic advantage from all the data we collected there. And equally, it's great to build out fixed projects early so that floating projects can learn from fixed projects which are now being built in deeper and deeper waters. So Caledonia, for example, is going to be operational from 2030 onwards and it's going to be one of the Scotland frontrunner projects and especially in Scotland where the market is just taking off. Later projects can learn a lot from projects that are being developed sooner. And yes, Alex and Duncan mentioned the sharing of surveys and vessels there. And I think we as an industry, Alex, I definitely agree, we are getting better, but there is still a lot of work to do and a lot of learning, I guess, we also have to do in terms of what is worth collaborating on, finding the right forums, creating the right forums, and then actually rationalizing, exactly like Alex said, the areas where we're not actually commercially competing on and then making it worth everyone's while to collaborate. I think King Carden has been collecting lots and lots of bird data, for example, so the King Carden Wind Farm just off Aberdeen, which can help everyone in the industry with their consenting going forward and it's just gathering and making use of all the information that we have already and that's out there. We've kind of moved on to collaboration a bit which is, is really really interesting and I'm interested to get your thoughts on 
how collaboration is progressing. We are a, a relatively new industry. We're kind of growing up fairly quickly. And I'm just wondering, in terms of the collaboration and the examples that you've all given, are these happening organically? Are they going to continue to happen themselves? Or is there a role of, of some kind of framework structure, regulation to help make those things happen more? In other words, from the Crown Estate, Crown Estate Scotland, UK government, are there things that people should be doing or are there things that Offshore Wind Industry Council and SOEC should be doing that would help to enable, facilitate, encourage more collaboration? What are the practical things that would work or is it best left to the companies to work out what works for them? Is it stick or carrot that we need to do more collaboration? I'm maybe happy to start here and point to some of the examples where collaboration has happened best and for the longest periods of time in, in the sector. So two JIPs that come to mind are the Offshore Wind Accelerator run by the Carbon Trust and the Floating Wind Centre of Excellence from Ori Catapult. I think both are really nice and now very established, both of them, in their ability to convene a group of developers and really tackle some of those shared pain points. The Offshore Wind Accelerator has been running for over a decade now and continues to result in technologies that, that we implement on our wind farms on a regular basis, in particular some of the you know research around foundation technologies. Some of these frameworks are really useful and can be incredibly supportive of us collaborating together. But I think there's no one size fits all in terms of carrot versus stick. I think collaboration ultimately is a very people focused thing. And so people need to want to come together. And I think there are times when a framework is very supportive of that, but there are times when a stick, so to speak, would actually be more detrimental than it would be supportive. But I think that's more of a psychological thing than it is a industry structural type thing, if that makes sense. Marlene, did you have any thoughts, further thoughts on that? Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm uh, probably leaning more towards the carrot side of the spectrum. And it's really interesting that Alex was thinking about the whole dynamic from a psychological perspective. I was thinking more from an economic perspective. To come back to your original question there about whether it's an organic development or a framework, it's probably an organic development that needs a little bit of a push. <laughs> And I think OIC forums and industry body forums would be where I personally would see a lot of collaboration potentially being facilitated and where they encourage collaboration rather than it being forced on developers. And that comes actually back to what Alex said, that people need to want to collaborate. And especially if we're looking at what the market looks like at the moment with uncapped auctions and CFD rounds, these are not really market frameworks that are conducive to a lot of collaboration. So if you use that stick approach to, to stick with that metaphor there, they wouldn't really help matters. So we need to make it more of a carrot approach and make it worth developers while to collaborate down the line and make all of us see that it's in everyone's interest to collaborate on, on a variety of aspects. Much more carrot than stick. Duncan, any thoughts? Do you want to join our psychology podcast? See where we get to with that one. Yeah, I agree. It needs to be, I think, a balanced mixture. There's no silver bullet. But um, an example which has worked well, I think, is been born out of Scotland and the um, collaborative framework working group and the collaborative charter, which was announced by Nicola Sturgeon, oh, I can't remember how many years ago, but we've been working together on that initiative, which has then spawned the Strategic 
investment model, the SIM. And this is bringing forward a whole host of potential collaborative projects, which may fly, but there's a portfolio being brought out, I think very soon in the next few weeks, which will actually advertise all these opportunities to the wider industry, to anybody that wants to get involved. So keep a lookout for that. And it's something that we are supporting and we've even put in a project idea ourselves to build SOV and CTV vessels in Scotland. We realise that that needs to be competitive internationally all of it for work. But we believe that if we can get enough demand together from different projects, then there can be a pipeline and through the economies of scales, it can become competitive. So these ideas are there. We need to take advantage of them when they come out. Collaborative Framework Charter and the SIM, the Strategic Investment Model, are great examples of how quite a light-touch framework, I think, can actually help to enable collaboration and bring people together without need for a stick. It was very much a coalition of the willing in terms of pulling that together. So it seems like we're all aligned on that. I'd like to expand the conversation a bit out to kind of international markets. The UK, in terms of deployment, is, is very much a leading country in terms of offshore wind and has been at the forefront for a long time. The global market is obviously growing massively, both in terms of activity, in terms of capacity. All three of your organisations have kind of international ambitions, international footprint going forward. I'd be interested in your reflections of how the UK currently compares against other markets. And as a follow-on to that, I'd, I'd like to understand your perspective from a supply chain position as to how the UK market and UK companies can be taken into other markets and how we can use that expanded global market and your global footprints to see how we can further develop this supply chain. I think this is a a really interesting question because I guess we do think about offshore wind as these defined local markets, but it is a global industry at this point. And as you rightly point out, we're all by and large global organizations with footprints in lots of countries. And I think, you know, there's been some really nice examples of suppliers that we've seen who have cut their teeth on UK projects in our portfolio and then gone on to deliver in other markets as well. So the likes of Balmoral, CRP Subsea, Tecmar, First Subsea, all in the cable protection space have started in the UK and then delivered overseas for us as well. And then in other areas of the supply chain as well. So Guardline, Marine Space and Pulse in that kind of engineering consultancy and marine survey and operations space. And I think the UK has this advantage in the fact that we've got so much installed capacity here and it does provide lots of opportunities for companies to cut their teeth for the very first time. We've done pretty well at the development end of things and the operation end of things and there is this gap in the middle. And I suppose we're hoping that that can continue to grow But I think one of the things that the UK can really do is just to have that really supportive business environment. The the industrial growth plan is is coming together. We're expecting to hear a bit more in the coming weeks about the green industries growth accelerator. Maybe these are things that can start to bridge that gap between the parts of the life cycle where the UK is actually really, really strong and can deliver some really positive results for the sector. Ocean Winds has obviously got international roots and ambitions as well. Marlene, what are your thoughts on the UK and the global market? That's right. Our headquarter is in Madrid, but our UK office is still the biggest. <laughs> the UK market is by far the largest worldwide, but other markets are catching up fast. So it's not a given that the UK will stay that market leader in offshore wind going forward. We need to proactively make sure that it stays that way. 
So we need strong investment and political will to make sure we can use this front-runner advantage for decades to come and be that center of excellence that other countries look to and that other markets look to for their own development. I think the EU countries collectively are planning to install 107 gigawatts or something by 2030. These are just bonkers numbers. So that's an intense pressure on the global supply chain, on ports, on permitting authorities, on on everyone. Now, I think thankfully in the UK, on the whole, we are in a much better position than elsewhere. And we have all of those decades of experience to look back on. And some of the world's largest developers have gained their core expertise here. And Alex mentioned the supply chain who have grown and gained all of their experience here. So that's fantastic. We have a lot of work to do to make sure that we remain the world's leading market and um, we need developers and the supply chain and and policymakers as well, of course, to come together to make this happen. Because otherwise, on the current trajectory, we'd probably hit a bottleneck around 2026 or so. And we all need to come together to make sure the industry here doesn't lose that momentum. And this is exactly what we're doing on the 12th in that spotlight session. So developers and the supply chain, we're all going to come together to have a productive discussion and find a common and mutually beneficial way forward. And delegates are, of course, more than welcome to come and meet our specialists in our local content uh, session in the afternoon on the 12th. So it's called Local Talent Global Impact. And we'd really love to meet uh, lots of people there and discuss this further. Duncan, words of optimism from both Alex and, and Marlene. The sector going through a lot of changes at the moment, but huge ambition and opportunity there. Alex and Marlene picking up on that optimism. Are you an optimist as well, Duncan? Do you share their views? I see some positive activities. Um, I've been in the wind energy industry for almost two decades now in a few different markets. I see that all markets have their challenges and they're all dynamic. We do have a lead in the UK and, and it's well-deserved. It's been hard fought, but there's no room for complacency at all, especially considering the last CFD round results in, in the UK. The race to the bottom is over. I think we need to acknowledge that, that the prices have come down too low. The focus has been on least cost, and that needs to change to best value. The positive aspects which we're seeing now, there's a consultation out right now on what used to be called non-price factors. Now, sustainable industry rewards. I encourage everybody to get involved in that consultation. I think it's an important one and hopefully it will result in carrots being offered rather than sticks and focusing on projects that do bring value rather than just least cost. Ultimately, what we need to really focus on is there's a classic expression I heard, there's no energy transition without transmission. That grid, there's a lot of attention to the grid, and rightly so. All projects uh, work backwards in their timelines from the grid connection. And there is a, a massive expansion of grid that's required in order to update the UK's energy infrastructure. It's not all for offshore wind. It's all part of a transition to a low carbon nation. That grid aspect, whilst not the focus of the uh, spotlight supply chain event, it's something that does need to keep the attention on otherwise, uh, like I said, no transition without transmission. 
Okay, no, thank you, Duncan. Wise, wise words, and, and certainly no complacency. I don't think there's any any complacency around the table from any of the developers. I think uh, we all know there's some big challenges ahead, but the supply chain will absolutely be central to delivering that. Speaking of challenges, on the challenge aspect, can you all provide me with one challenge? ideally with a solution. What's the biggest challenge a facing the sector and specifically the supply chain at the moment? And if you've got solutions, feel free to throw those in. So the key challenge we see at the moment is around ports and port space and all the investment that is required to build up the ports and that catalyst that's that's required <laughs> that's required for this investment early on. And ports need a plan and a perspective from everyone else in the industry for the next decades, not just for the next leasing round or not just for the next round of projects. <laughs> if we had a magic wand, <laughs> we'd make sure there was uh, sufficient investment in ports to accommodate construction and assembly of the great number of offshore wind projects we have in the pipeline, as well as accommodate their maintenance. And I'll just mention the Kincardine Wind Farm again as a as a bad example this time, because their one turbine was assembled in Rotterdam and then towed all the way to Aberdeen. And we just can't have that going forward. And we do have the space and the capability and the capacity here in theory. So let's all make that happen. Let's make the people a bit more risk averse maybe when it comes to the investment because developers and governmental bodies and everyone has, has very great plans for scaling up and for, for developing this industry. So let's let's grow our domestic market that way and invest in our ports. Duncan, challenge or opportunity? I completely agree with Marlene. The, the challenge is to get that pipeline visibility. It will benefit you know, the ports as well as the rest of the supply chain. That pipeline visibility, I'm afraid I'm a stuck record. It, it comes back to the grid connection. Just very recently, there was uh, a great announcement that the grid queue is receiving attention. And um, I can't remember whether they called it uh, dead wood or zombie projects, but they are now able to be removed from this queue. And that should free up a large amount of theoretical projects, which aren't ever going to go ahead. And the, the real projects that are ready to proceed will hopefully move further up the grid queue. And as soon as we can get that certainty on grid connection, then the supply chain can adapt to it. It can adapt to knowing, yes, this year we need to be focusing on that project because it will be connecting at that date. And so, yes, there's a challenge there, but there's also positive uh, movement towards the solution. Alex, final word. Ports and grids have been taken, so... I'm maybe not going to go for the, the biggest challenge, but probably the challenge that's closest to my heart. And that relates to the, the funding support for innovation. I think the UK has such a fantastic ecosystem for supporting the development of new technologies, and the catapult is right at the heart of that. But I think there's still a, more that we could be doing in this country to provide financial support to de-risk the development of new technologies. It's difficult enough bringing a new product or service to market without having to spend hugely disproportionate amounts of time battling through grant funding competitions, often for you know little reward when um, it's been oversubscribed and you've been unsuccessful. And you know we talked a little bit in the previous talking point around having a positive business environment in the UK, and I think support for innovation is a key pillar of that. You know, ultimately, you know, it might seem like a, a small thing, but 
it really does help the UK maintain its position as this kind of hotbed of new technology for the sector. It helps us to maintain our global competitiveness and it helps suppliers compete as well because innovation is is the improvement of products and services. So it helps us to compete at home, but also to export overseas, linking back to that part of of how the UK compares with other markets. That's something that we can really differentiate ourselves on if we get it right. That's been a fantastic conversation and, and to really appreciate the, the words of wisdom and, and insights from the panel. I mean, we've covered the inspiration that we hope to get from Spotlight. We've heard advice on, on getting to know your customer and really understanding your place within the, the supply chain. We've had some great examples of collaboration, how we can learn from other sectors and how we can get some structure and new approaches into ways that we're doing learning from other areas. We've also highlighted the challenges which always exist around uh, grid, ports, innovation funding as highlighted there, but hopefully some solutions as well. Really good discussion. Really grateful for the panel for their their insights. If you want to carry on the discussion, Austin and, and Ocean Winds both will be holding a breakout sessions where you can join in and take part. ENBW and BP are sponsoring the the drinks reception as well. So there's plenty of opportunities for listening to other experts within the sector, networking with uh, colleagues from both supply chain and from developers, and carrying on the discussion that we've had today. Finally, a big thanks to our panellists, to Marlene from Ocean Winds, to Duncan from ENBW and to Alex from Orsted. Looking forward to seeing you on the 12th. It's now time to de-energize. In the meantime, listeners can find out more about ORE Catapult activities at ore.catapults.org.uk. And don't forget to follow us on X, formerly Twitter, and LinkedIn at ORE Catapult, and now on Instagram at ore.catapult. Thanks again to our panelists and look forward to seeing you soon.